0: Good morning. It is very special to finally be here at Hillside. Um, This is my first time here. Second time in Clark Summit. First time was for Stephen and Hannah's wedding. Uh, So I've heard so much in these past years, and uh, as a family, and as a church family, and the elders of our church, we've prayed for you all during this past year as well, and the uh, transitions and trials that God has led you, and um, it is really neat to finally see uh, the church that my brother and my dad, who sends his greetings, my parents, uh, they've spoken so much about. This, these past few days have been really, really special, and I want to thank all of you uh, who were involved. Helping the food was wonderful. Uh, I could not get enough of American food again, uh, and just enjoying the fellowship and the time we had here together. Um, We're going to continue our series this morning. Uh, Actually, first, let me just mention my family. Um, I'm married to Adriana. My wife is Brazilian. We have three kids. Uh, Lila is 10, Andrew is 9, and John is three days older than Jack. So uh, five years old, just turned five. Uh, Lord willing, we will all be up here in the middle of June. And so I'd love to, for you all to meet them. We're going to be on vacation. We're going to swing by here, uh, if the Lord wills. Uh, our church is in Achebaia. It's about an hour outside of the city of São Paulo. And I would like to ask you to pray for Brazil right now. In our state of São Paulo and many parts of Brazil and in our town, um, we are pretty much out of all ICU and, um, and just normal hospital beds. Uh, We have several members of the church who are going through, are facing COVID right now. And Friday night, I got a call from my wife, uh, and we, for the first time, lost a member of our church to COVID. Um, And um, I was listening to a little bit of the service this morning, and um, we're just going through John 11 and uh, looking to Christ and His... um, his comfort and a time where the church is, very, is really, really suffering. Uh, so we would ask that you remember us in your prayers. Uh, I had to get multiple COVID tests just to get here. Uh, to make sure I wasn't bringing anything to the States. And I already took another one yesterday to make sure I'm not taking anything back. Um, and we're heading back. Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah, who's up here, he's down in South Jersey right now, we will be flying back tomorrow. Like I said, we're going to continue our series on what is the gospel already talked about who is God. What is our problem? The problem of sin. Last week, talking about how sin, because of our own sin in Adam, we were kicked out of paradise, kicked out of the Garden of Eden into the darkness of world without God, of world without without the presence of God. We have got the kids here this morning. How many of you are... Scared of the dark. Anybody? Alright, we got okay. Some who were kids are we're the first ones to be honest. How many who are not longer kids but were or are scared of the dark? How many of you faced that? Okay. Yeah. Um one of the cool things this morning is I get to tell Steven stories from when we were kids, right? Uh, don't cut the mic, okay? Uh one of our favorite games growing up in Brazil. I don't even know if you have this here and play this here in the States. Uh, was really playing with this fear of the dark. We had a game that was called Gatomia, which really just means in Portuguese, the cat's meow. Doesn't mean much. But what we would do is, all our siblings, so uh, there's six of us, uh, Merc kids, and our cousins, we'd all uh, bundle up inside the downstairs of my parents' house, and we'd turn off all the lights, close all the curtains, and then one of us, would be upstairs, and when everybody was hiding down below, he'd say, all right, we're ready. He'd close the door to the stairwell, turn off the light, and head down into the darkness. And when he was down there, that person who was it would have to feel his way through the dark and try to find everyone else. Now, everyone else, what were we doing? We were trying to find every way that we could trip that person or fool that person, because uh, when in the dark you found someone, you'd feel their face and you'd try to guess who it was. And you actually had to say, um, "Cat's meow, got to And the person would have to say, "Meow," and you'd have to try to guess whose voice it was. That was the game. But we did all sorts of crazy things. I mean, throwing pillows at the person and other things. Um, but, you know, just trying to figure, get, you know, really get in the way of that person and just causing them to stumble in the dark. Well, that was a fun way of playing in the dark. But there are other ways that are much more, much scarier. Can you imagine being in a, a dark cave, totally uh, you can feel the darkness as if you could cut it with a knife, totally lost, all alone. And as you grope your way through the darkness, anything you touch, anyone you touch, it just causes fear because you don't know what it is or if it's there to hurt you or not. Kids, you've got a piece of paper to draw. We're going to do a few drawings during the sermon. Your first drawing, if you'd like, would be, and the first, if you're going to divide it up, we're going to do about three drawings. One of them is going to be in two parts, so four drawings. If you want to fold it in four parts. Um, The first one is someone lost in the dark, maybe a dark cave, maybe your basement, Um, without any light. And I'd like you to draw that for me, please. The Bible says that without Christ, we were in that darkness, scared. Even in our relationships, anyone we come in contact to, we we are fearful. Uh, Is is that person going to hurt me or not? What do I do? We are totally lost. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were separated from Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world. What was our problem? We rebelled against a holy God, our creator, and therefore could not save ourselves anymore. God requires perfect holiness, and we are completely polluted by sin. The wages of sin is death, and no one is pure enough even to take our place. We lost our purpose of governing this world as God's Representatives as his vice regents. Even our greatest heroes, the greatest saints in the Old Testament, in the Bible, are flawed and cannot save us. We lost our way back to God's presence. As we were reading in Jonah this week, we came across in Jonah 2 the great phrase that is so simple, but our greatest hope. In the midst of our darkness, and being lost in our sin, salvation had to come from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. And God had to take the first step, to take the initiative, and He did. I'd like you to go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, pretty much where you ended last week. Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, and as God was judging them, and they were kicked out of the garden, Genesis 3, verse 15, "In the midst of the curse, God gave us hope." Genesis 3:15 says, he's, "God is talking to the serpent. I will put enmity." Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In Brazil, we have quite a lot of snakes. Uh, I live a little ways outside of town on my uh, in-law's property. And just this past week, uh, the caretakers of the property killed four snakes. Uh, one was a big rattlesnake that was under um, one of the washing machines. Uh, another one, which was near the, the gate to the property, was a, we call it a jararaca, which is basically a rattlesnake without a rattle, so you don't know where he is, All right, which is about the same size. And then up towards my house, a little bit higher up on the hill, there are two baby jararacas, and we're still looking for the mommy. Uh, I hate snakes. I, I, amen, right, that's right, you know, um, and uh, I, I hate him, and, and it, it's just, it's just, when we were kids, Stephen even got bitten by a rattlesnake, um, and that's, how, that's why he's like this, you know, all, till now, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I got the pulpit this time, you know. <laughs> uh, it, they are just dangerous, they're fearful, but that's not what God is talking about here. To me, a good snake's a dead snake. But what he's talking about to this serpent is that our tempter, our enemy, the one whom we followed after sin and temptation, we need a deliverer. We need a snake killer. We need a dragon slayer. We need a hero to come and enter into this world to take care of the problem of sin for us because we can't do it. And God said, I will put enmity. I'm going to start a battle that will go all through the pages of the Bible and I am going to send someone. He will be the descendant of the woman. He will be born of a woman. He will be human and he will fight this battle. The serpent will bruise his heel but he is going to crush his And as we travel through the pages of Scripture and and wonder, who will that be? Who is he? We see that not only is this Savior who is to come, the one who will crush the head of the serpent, free us from our sin, but he is also the light of the world. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone." Isaiah was pointing forward to the one who was to come. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that it is... Jesus. In his birth, we see so many songs and prophecies coming. The light of revelation to the Gentiles is what Simeon says. So this morning we're going to ask the question, who is the Savior? Who is Jesus? And what does it mean that as we sang that he was totally God, totally man? We're going to start talking about that in this next coming week. There's going to be more about who is Jesus and how could he save us? And the main part of that is He had to be the descendant of the woman. He had to be human, but he also had to be God. Our idea this morning, only the Son of God and Son of Man could save me by taking my place. Only the Son of God and Son of Man could save me by taking my place. So I'd like to look quickly with you. We're going to go through several passages uh, of Scripture. So uh, have your Bibles ready. Uh, We're going to first think together, what does it mean that Jesus was the Son of God and Son of Man? Okay? Uh, This is what we call in theology the doctrine of the incarnation. That God became man. A definition of this that... um, Theologian Wayne Grudem gives us is the incarnation was the act in which God the Son took on human nature. Okay, the Bible teaches us that God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the incarnation, God the Son, He took on human nature. He became one of us. Jesus is fully, 100% God and fully 100% man. Not two people, just one. Does the Bible really teach this? Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Starting at verse 5. Philippians 2. We're going to read verses five through 11. Philippians 2 5 through11 says this: "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the for- oh, excuse me, for though- who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What is this text showing us? He's showing us that Christ Jesus was in the form of God. Now, being in the form of God in verse uh, 6 does not mean that he just looked like God, that he just kind of seemed like God. No, he was truly, actually God. In the same way that he's going to say that he was, took the form of a servant, likeness of man. He was. He was in human form. He was God, and then he came and he emptied himself and took on mankind, took on human form. What does that mean? Well, does it mean that he, he, he stopped being God so that he could become human? No. We see in, in the Word of God that he com- continued always to be totally God. It means that he emptied himself, not by subtracting, but by adding. He became like us. Which is not very, um, when we think of that, we think, well, no, it's cool. You know, he, he, be- he added, he's one of us now. No, that was humbling. For God to take, to step down and humble himself to become one of us. We can't even imagine it. it it's much a greater miracle than even if you or I were to become an ant. Because we're creation becoming, would become another part of creation, which is impossible. But the creator came and became part of creation. But not only that, Christ's humility in, in saying, I, he's not going to just grasp and stay. I'm going to just stay in heaven on the throne. I am going to come down to where, human can, where mankind is. Become human. Become a servant and die on the cross. He stepped down from heaven. Took the initiative to save us. The text continues, therefore God the Father exalted him, raised him up so that at his name every everyone should bow, every knee should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. he is totally God, totally man. If he weren't God, then it would be idolatry to worship him and bow before him. And as man, he came to take our place. At Christmas time, we talk a lot about how, about the virgin birth, how um, Christ was born from the virgin Mary. That is in place so that our salvation could happen so that he could be totally God, totally man. If Jesus had been created in heaven without human parents, he wouldn't be one of us of the human race because he wouldn't be descended from Adam and Eve. If both Jesus' parents had been human, Mary and Joseph, he wouldn't be fully God because he would have been born just like us, conceived just like us. But God's wisdom is incredible, unfathomable. Jesus was fully God, fully man, his mother was Mary, descendant of Adam and Eve, but his father was God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It's hard to get our heads around it. It's, it's a mystery, which is why I love the song that we sang, um, Totally God, Totally Man. And I'd like kids now, if you, the second drawing that you're going to do um, is get one of the images of the song we sang and try to may, maybe use two of the squares on your folded paper. And on one side, uh, show one thing that Jesus is, because he's God, what he can do. And on the other side, what he experienced because he's human. Let me remind you some of the phrases that you could use as an idea. Jesus, his word upholds the galaxies. Everything was created by his word, but he did babble like a baby when he was in his mommy's arms. He has the wisdom and knowledge understanding the universe, how a black hole works. But he had to learn how to write his name. He walked on the waters. But he also got tired, had dirty feet on the dusty roads. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. How many of us have suffered from that these last few months? year. He cried, but he also had the power to bring him back to life. Totally God, totally man, both in one. The great I am of the Old Testament, of the Bible. He fulfilled God's plan to save the world, being totally God and totally man. So kids, pick pick maybe one of those or another one, and on one square, um, draw a picture. Maybe Jesus walking on the water but also walking on the dusty, dirty roads of this world. One person, two natures. But, okay, what does that mean for us? What is the implication for our salvation? Only the Son of God and Son of Man could save me by taking my place. So we're going to go look at both sides of this. First, that Jesus had to be god to save me, to take our place. And then that Jesus had to be man to take our place. So let's look at this. uh, The first, Jesus had to be God to take our place. Only someone who is infinitely God, who is totally God, could bear the full penalty of sins for everyone. I'd like you to imagine if I had a debt at the bank, I could not pay my mortgage. And because of that, I would lose my house, lose my home. And then my brother, Stephen, who really loves me and suddenly came across a whole lot of money, decides to pay my mortgage. Hint, hint. No. (laughs) All right. He decides to pay my mortgage and buy back my house so I will not lose my home. So he goes to the bank and he pays it for me. My situation, my problem's covered. It's paid for. Now, let's say that you're in the same situation. And you also have a large debt. And your house, you're about to lose your home. If Stephen paid for my house, does that mean that yours is covered too? Why not? What's one for one. He, he had enough to pay for me. It doesn't mean that automatically everybody's paid for. If he wanted to cover the debts for everyone, what would he have to be? Well, filthy rich, right? He would have to be infinitely wealthy. Jesus paid for our debt at the cross. He took our place. He had to be perfect to take our place. He had to be holy to take our place because or else he would have to pay for his own sin. Because the wages of sin is death. If I sin, I have to die. If somebody's going to die in my place, it has to be someone who is not condemned to die because of his own sin. So Christ came and he offered himself to die in my place. But one person for one person. How would he be able to die for multiple people? For all? He had to be infinite. He had to be God himself. And that's what we learn in the scriptures. Salvation from the Lord. Only truly God could save us. Only truly God could reveal God to us. Only truly God could, by his sacrifice, pay the infinite price of our sin. Please open your Bible in John chapter 1, another place where we see uh, this being taught. Uh, It was fascinating as I was preparing this to look through and just see how many places in the Word of God we are taught that Jesus was man and God and how essential that is for our salvation and for our life as Christians, our sanctifications. John chapter 1, verses... We're going to pick a few parts here, pick a few verses here. Uh, Verses 1 through 5. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning The Word of God, Christ, was God. He is the Creator, God. Everything that exists was made by Him and through Him. He is the light that shines in the midst of the darkness of our lost world. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see here that When Christ came, He was that light that suddenly shone in the dark cave where we are lost as mankind, trying to to live some way, to find something to to save us, afraid. But the light shone. Christ came. Now, it says that many turned their backs on the light. When the light suddenly turns on, when you're in the dark, what do you do with your eyes? Usually this, right? It's blinding at first. And and so that's what mankind did. When Jesus came as the light of the world, mankind turned away. His own people turned away from him. No, we can't stand it. This holiness among us as sinners. No. But those who did believe, those who the Spirit called, who came and repented, placed their faith in Christ Jesus, he gave us the power to become children of God, to be saved, to be born again. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, God, became flesh. He put on human nature, a human body, and he dwelt among us. The the word for dwelt here is actually the word for um, pitching a tent. And it it takes us back to the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament, the place where God's glory was shown, where God's name, God's presence uh, uh, resided, where uh, at different times when God's glory filled the temple or the tabernacle, Nobody could go in because of God's blinding light of his presence, of his glorious presence. There were curtains in place. Remember at the, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? What had God place at the entrance to the garden? You remember what that was? An angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword. Nobody gets back to God's presence In the Holy of Holies, in the temple, and the tabernacle, there was a huge curtain, very thick curtain, that separated the presence of God from everyone else. Do you remember what was drawn on that and embroidered on that curtain? Cherubim. And it wasn't just to be a pretty drawing. It was to show no one's allowed in here. Access denied. Only through the blood of the Lamb. So all through the Old Testament, we see that man, he he needs God. He needs God's presence, but we can't get there. But then Christ came, God incarnate, and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory as the glory of the great I am, the glory of God from the Old Testament of all Scripture. He dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. It's as if Jesus came down, and God camped out with us i don 't know if you like to go camping. Uh, one of the things we like to do at our family is camping. usually it's in our front yard, um, and it seemed to rain every time. Uh, but camping together is just a, a great way of fellowship of being around we 're not even in different rooms it's just it's one tent or several tents around the campfire uh, two nights before I, or a few nights before I flew down. Um, we had a special family night and we all uh, set up a campfire and and we're roasting hot dogs and singing songs and trying to uh, play the guitar. And it's just, and one of my kids says, this is one of the greatest nights of my life. You know, because we're together. That's what Jesus did. Kids, on your other drawing, try to imagine Jesus living with us, maybe camping out with us. Maybe you could draw a campground. And Jesus, there sitting with you around the fire, and we're living and fellowshipping together. Verse 18 No one has ever seen God, the only God who has at the Father's side, he has made him known. We get to know God because God came down to us. All other religions. Are about man trying to climb up the ladder to get to God. We're gonna find a way, just like the Tower of Babel, remember? We're gonna build this big tower in our name and we're gonna reach heaven. We're gonna get there. We're gonna find the way. We're gonna do good things. We're gonna be great, this or that, and and we're gonna find, we're gonna meditate, we're gonna do this, and, and we're gonna make ourselves better to reach God. It just doesn't work. We can never get there. God had to come down to reveal himself to us. Only the Son of God and the Son of man could save me by taking my place. This is great assurance for us. John chapter 14, John chapter 14, the first verses, Jesus telling his disciples, as He's getting prepared to, for his ultimate sacrifice. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's heart's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back to take you to be with me. So that you will be where I am also. One of the disciples, Thomas, asked, well, we don't know where you're going. How, how, can, you, how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would, also, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then Philip passed. Well, wait, hold on a second. Just show us the Father. That, that's good enough. And Jesus answers, do you not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The words that I speak are not my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Because Jesus is God, we have assurance of an eternal dwelling place. Because of his work and because he opened the way to God, do we know That there are many rooms awaiting those who believe in Jesus. Who take the way of Jesus fully God, fully man, to be with the Father. Let's think about now, okay, so Jesus had to be God to take our place. But Jesus had to be man to take our place. Um, The last text we're going to look at, Hebrews chapter 2. Book of Hebrews. Please turn there. Hebrews chapter 2. So we see how Jesus had to be God to reveal the Father, to take us to the Father, to represent the Father, to be the light, the salvation from the Father, but he also had to be man. Hebrews chapter two, starting at verse 14. Hebrews 2:14 says, "Since, therefore the children share in flesh and blood." So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to be man to be our substitute. Our sacrifice in our place. If you read back to the beginning, since the beginning of chapter 2 in Hebrews, you will see that um, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses, he's going to say. An angel or any other could not be sent down to take our place. No other spiritual being would be enough. Why? Because he's not one of us. If he weren't fully man, he could not die for us. A substitute has to be of the same kind. Uh, in Brazil, spare tires are real tires. Back in 2004, I was up here in the States for a year doing a pastoral in- internship at, uh, um, at this church in South Jersey. And um, my Adriana, who is now my wife, she came up with um, her brother and my parents and spent Christmas with us. Uh, we were dating at the time. And we decided to take, I had an old Toyota Corolla 96 uh, down to Washington, D.C. to tour of the capital. And as we were, we got down there after a few hours of of traveling, and I parked in that overpriced parking garage. uh, As we were walking out to start touring the city, one of the guys from the parking garage ran out and said, listen, you've got a flat tire. And we had already had several problems just getting down there. And I said, I was just so fed up. So I'll deal with it when we're done, when we get back. So we spent the day touring uh, the city, went to the museums, walked all over the place. And when we got back, the end of the afternoon, early evening, oh, yeah, I have a flat tire I have to deal with. No problem. We deal with this in Brazil all the time. You know, it just pull out the, the spare tire and put it on. When I opened the trunk, however, I said, what's this donut doing here? You know? This looks like a bicycle tire. I had never seen it before, for that, at least for that model. And, and, and saw so this little thing in it, I had never even really um, filled it with air. So it was kind of, um, you know, just empty anyways, flat anyways. So I was just, I, I, was, I was going crazy. I tried to find, put it on there. And then we traveled around the city to find a, um, a one, uh, anybody who would do a tire repair. was late at night. There were 10 cars in line. It was just a mess. And what was so concerning for me? Because it wasn't the same kind of thing to substitute. It wasn't another spare tire. It was a different kind of tire. Kids, when you're back at school and your teacher's sick, who substitutes the teacher? It's not one of your classmates, I hope. Right? You need a substitute teacher, a different one of the same kind. If someone needs to pay for his crimes... If a criminal, if a mass murderer needs to be punished, who is punished? You cannot substitute his punishment before the law by punishing his dog. It has to be another, or it has to be him. A substitute has to be of the same kind. That's why Hebrews later, actually later in chapter 10 is going to tell us that the death of a lamb, like we see in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was never enough. A little lamb doesn't have the same value before God as a human soul. We needed one of us to pay the sacrifice in our place. And that's what Jesus did. It says here back in chapter 2 that he partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood why verse 17 verse 14 that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil he crushed the head of the serpent on the cross he took the death he took the punishment not just for one of us but for all of us effective for everyone who believes why so that we would not be scared in the dark of our sin and of death. Slaves to the fear of death, as he says. Brothers and sisters, have we not seen this past year the slavery to the fear of death? Have you not felt it in your own heart? I have. There are things I thought I would, would never bother me. But sometimes being awake at night, just wondering, I. I hope I'm not taking the, some disease to someone else. I hope nothing happens to me. Well, how is this going to What's going, going to happen? I was talking to my wife yesterday as she went to the, the home of this family who lost a um, father who was 40 some years old from our church, married three young daughters. And as she's there trying to comfort them, and as, as death takes hold, and actually this man's father, I'd performed his funeral a week ago. As, as death has, has hammered this family, it causes us fear and, and trepidation. And, and We don't understand this. What's going on? But when we remember that Christ has already gone before us in our place as one of us, He not only faced death, he faced temptations. He faced every kind of suffering. He knows what it's like, but without sin. And he went before and defeated death. Revelation shows us that Christ, glorified Christ, is the one who holds the keys of death and hell. He's the one who controls it he's in charge. he is our hope. brothers and sisters that's why we can get up in the morning. that's why we can continue living day to day in whatever struggles and temptations. we may be tempted to say well yeah well it's easy for jesus because he was also god he couldn't sin and that's true. but just because he was god doesn't make it less of temptation or less of a struggle. Those of you who like to do weightlifting, to bench press, I don't. If you're bench pressing, who feels the full weight of the weight? Is it the one like me who starts trying to push those weights up and just gives up and hopefully there's someone there behind you stronger that'll hold it so it doesn't crush your your chest or your neck? No. No. Gave in. The one who feels the full weight is the one who is strong enough to bench press those entire heavy pounds of steel. And he was victorious. That's why Christ can help us as a compassionate high priest who knows what it's like He's been through everything, temptations and struggles. But he was able to to win, to be victorious. And he's strong enough so that when we face the same trials and temptation and our fight against sin, he can come alongside and help us to not give in to the same temptation. Jesus destroyed the one who has the power over death we are fear from that fear, free from that fear, because he gave himself as our sacrifice and was accepted. Only the Son of God and the Son of Man could save me by taking my place. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning, I want you to and as you listen to this, I'd like you to, to see this is not just some theological point. This is about our life, how we go through suffering, how we face temptation, how we deal with one another and seeing Christ's humility and humbling ourselves and putting others' interests before ours. Christ's nature, dual nature as, as God and man is the reason we can worship God because he is among us praising the Father and he is teaching his word to us through his word today. If you do not know this Christ as your Savior, then I would invite you to put your faith on him as the only one who can lead us back to the Father because his sacrifice as God as man was accepted in your place.